With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The fact of the matter is, we need to raise our on-field competitiveness. Competing at a high level is required for the long-term success of Nebraska athletics. We intend to bring in a new athletic director, certainly to drive that success. We are beginning a targeted search for a new athletic director immediately. I was taken back, surprised. You know, I was probably flat out uh, saddened by the whole deal. I, I really, really enjoyed working with Sean. Besides being a good man, I think, I think he had everybody's uh, best interests at heart coaches and student athletes. Unless you do it in the summertime, there's never a time when we're not competing. And so obviously we've had a conversation with Coach Riley. We know that there will be that speculation. We expect the Huskers to compete on Saturday, regardless of where we are in the search process. Well, hello and welcome here again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Kind of a curveball edition. Uh, obviously, Nebraska Rutgers tomorrow, but we have to start out of the gates with the, the major news that broke here in Lincoln on Thursday afternoon as uh, Chancellor Ronnie Green and President Hank Bounds announced the firing of Athletic Director Sean Eichhorst, who will receive about $1.8 million now uh, from Nebraska as they move forward to new leadership. And Guys, as I bring in Robin Washer and Nate Klaus, um, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not that surprised. I mean, I think we saw the wheels were in motion on this. We heard some grumblings last week. Then the Black Friday uh, deal happened where, you know, I-Course got out and, and really gave an awkward press conference, almost like he was begging or pleading and listing his accomplishments. And then after the game, a similar type of deal. He comes down and addresses reporters like a coordinator or a coach after a game would in the locker room area, uh, which was totally out of character. We saw two totally out of character press conferences from my course this week where you almost got the sense he read some body language that he knew from his bosses uh, that the end was near and he was trying to fight to the bitter end. And obviously he is not the guy they want leading this thing going forward. Yeah, it was clear panic was starting to set in last week um, just because, you know, this is the guy that, um, you know, through the first X amount of years of his tenure here was the man behind the curtain. And it was almost like pulling teeth just to get him to even do an interview. And so when he does two voluntary uh, impromptu press conferences in the span of a handful of days, you knew something, you know, was going down. Um, and clearly uh, things were a lot further along uh, than we even knew. Because uh, you, you mentioned, you know, it was not really surprising, but I think the timing of it was still surprising. I mean, here we are. Um, entering week four of the college football season, you're going to make this massive of a change um, that's going to send ripple effects throughout your entire athletic department, particularly your football program. Uh, So now, um, as if there weren't already enough distractions for this football team week in, week out, uh, the biggest one of them all just hit uh, at probably the worst possible timing for Mike Riley. And now, you know, uh, the the issues of him coaching for his job just turned up tenfold. Nate, why hasn't this not, why has this not worked? I have no idea. I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question. Um, obviously, 
you know, you could go back to exactly when Eichhorst was hired, you know, and, and how how that was a, a rough transition where, he, you know, Harvey Perlman hired him without anyone else's knowledge um, or input and, you know, essentially pushed out Tom Osborne. Uh, he was obviously hired to fire uh, Bo Pelini, um, and we know that that was kind of a struggle. It didn't happen the, the year that he probably wanted to, to do it, and it lasted a year longer than it needed to, and that created a big, long rift. Um, obviously, there's other sports involved in this deal, too. Uh, you know, I think women's basketball, men's basketball um, are, are two, two, two other sports that are, that are definitely involved in this. Uh, there's so many layers here, and for whatever reason, Icorse just was not a good fit. You know, we saw a lot of different sides of the guy um, during his tenure here, and and it just I, never felt natural. Just, though. Yeah, it just always felt awkward and kind of forced, and um, for whatever reason, it just it just didn't work. And 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 to that end, I do applaud you know Hank Bounds and and uh, Chancellor Green for for making a decision. If they knew that this was not working and that they needed to go in a different direction, I think it was time to, to kind of cut ties and start the search because you know what, if at a place like Nebraska, you need to get out ahead of things. And if you're looking for the very best fit, um, in, in leadership in this department, I think you have to get out in front of things and, and try to get a head start on anybody else that's going to be looking for the same thing here in the months to come. You're listening here to the Oscar online show. As we discuss Sean Eichhorst's firing Nebraska Rutgers, they open big 10 play, uh, here tomorrow uh, on Saturday at 2.30, and we're going to talk more about that in our, our upcoming segments. We wanted to really talk about what this all means, and I, I think now the, the questions surround Mike Riley. I think the, the questions now are who will be the interim, who's going to be the permanent guy, and what does that mean to Mike Riley? And I think our history covering these changes and transitions over the years, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Mike Riley, his chances of survival – are, are not great right now. He's going to really have to turn the tide, win the people, and show that he's the guy. And right now, over his last nine games, Robin, he's three and six. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers don't give him much of an argument uh, to stay here, you know, when he's trying to sell his resume to whoever is his new boss. Um, you know, the, the big thing with um, this this change here is, you know, he and Sean Eichhorst were kind of tied at the hip, and Sean Eichhorst was his security blanket because, um, you know, there was the general thought that, um, as long as Eichhorst was in charge, um, you know, Mike Riley was going to have a pretty long leash because he was Eichhorst's guy who he was handpicked uh, to basically, um, you know, be the, the crowning piece uh, of his tenure here at Nebraska. Now that that's gone, uh, you know, Riley's got to you know, start to prove it now. Um, there's going to be no leniency um, with whoever takes over this job. Uh, the, the, any goodwill that has been built up is basically going to be erased, and they're going to look strictly on what have you done on the field, especially when you have Ronnie Green and Hank Bounds using the word competitiveness and on-field success time and again uh, in, in their statements. And so, I mean, clearly that is what's going to trump everything else is can you win at a championship level? Nate, is, is it as simple, though, as wins and losses? I mean, to me, I look at it as like, all right, yeah, they went 7-5, and five, okay. But how bad are those losses? How competitive are they in those big games against Wisconsin and Ohio State and Penn State? Are they showing promise that this thing is getting better? Yeah, that's the that's the thing to me is that not all records are created equal, right? So not all not every seven and five record 
is are the same. You know, there's there's a seven seven and five record where you get completely blown out by teams like Ohio State and Wisconsin, and you look terrible um, against some other teams. And then there's seven and five records where you are competitive in each and every single game. Um, there's seven and five records where you know what it, they had to scratch and claw to get to that record despite all these other injuries and and everything that's happened to your team. Um, so I think that all those things are going to be taken into account here. And, and I honestly feel like if obviously at the end of the day, the, the record is going to be Mike Riley's best ally here. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I feel like if they can somehow get through this season, I think Mike Riley should get another year or will get another year to kind of prove it uh, next year to the new guy. And then, and then from there, uh, you know, that will be kind of the, the I guess his tell his tell all for the future. Yeah, that will be interesting to see the immediate message the new athletic director gives and who that guy is, and and that's what we don't know what direction they're going to go. I think the perception is they need to stay within the context of the family, or at least somebody that knows the landscape of Nebraska, because we've learned the hard way. Now you bring an outside guy in like Sean Eichhorst, who's not from here, doesn't know anything about the place. It just wasn't a natural fit. So you need somebody like a Trev Alberts, like a Dave Remington, like a Tim Cassidy, an Ed Stewart, somebody with just a background knowledge possibly that understands it, or, or you go out of the box and take another chance and maybe you find another Bill Byrne. But those are all things we don't know the answer to. Uh, we don't even know who the interim athletic director is going to be at this point. So uh, lots to discuss. But the rest of the show, we're going to talk Rutgers, Nebraska. It's the Big Ten opener. Uh, lots of injured guys this week uh, will not be playing in this game. So this is going to be a dicey game for Nebraska. We're going to talk offensive storylines on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, we understand that first we have a lot more games to look forward to. Uh, second, this is the non-conference uh, games, so... Our ambitions for the Big Ten are still always open. It's a hard game, but we're going to pull together. And we're just going to uh, take it day by day. I think I think they're real hungry, and I think we are all embarrassed. You know what I mean? Uh, I still love that group. We're going to work hard and try to get better and better. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska getting ready for Rutgers. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. You heard from senior captain offensive lineman Gerald Foster and then offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh. And, man, it, it is turned up on that guy. I mean, the, he has become enemy number one for the fan base as far as the play of the line, the development of the line. And it is not going to get any easier. They face a challenge this week. Rutgers has a very good defensive front. That's probably their strength. But the injuries, again, um, and I feel like we've talked about this almost every year, and, and I think that's a common theme probably with a lot of college football teams, but the right tackle situation for Nebraska is in a very bad spot right now. David Neville continues to battle uh, his his stress fracture on his foot. They've trotted him out for individuals on Tuesday. It kind of remains to be seen even when he could be back. And then Matt Farniak breaks a bone in his left hand. Um, and and he's you know going to be maybe available for a limited special teams role. We're probably not going to play. So that leaves you in this predicament, Robin and Nate, where you've got to either pull the redshirt on Brennan Hymas or put a guy in Christian Gaylord who has shown nothing to this point in practice that he can handle being a Big Ten tackle. 
um, or you could do this, but they're not going to do this. You can move Cole Conrad back to right tackle where he started about six games last year and have Michael Decker as your center. Uh, that is not an option. So the way it looks now, I, I think Brandon Hymas could end up being that guy as we as we look at Saturday and uh, they learned their lesson, Robin, last year the hard way sitting on red shirts. I don't think Mike Cavanaugh is going to sit on red shirts because the heat has never been hotter on Coach Cav as they go into Big Ten play. Yeah, they, they can't afford to, but uh, you know, obviously uh, is that the best option to burn a red shirt on a guy like Brennan Hymas uh, and put him uh, against, like you said, uh, a Rutgers defense, which their defensive line is the strength of that entire team. I mean, that's not really fair to him, uh, and you're putting him basically setting him up to fail. And going back to what you were talking about earlier, uh, the fact that moving Cole Conrad back out to right tackle is not even an option for this staff confounds me. Uh, I mean, the dude was actually okay for six games last week, and then Michael Decker, I mean, he played a handful of snaps against Northern Illinois, but he looked okay in those snaps. And so you know, they act like it's this massive downgrade. Well, I mean, Decker almost won the center I job. Know. And so I don't know. There's pr- probably more to it than we know. I sure it goes beyond X's and O's and football ability. Uh, but here they are where they're debating putting a redshirt freshman who's never played or a true freshman uh, who just got to campus a couple months ago to be your starting right tackle in a critical Big Ten open opener uh, against a, a stout, you know, Rutgers defensive line, uh, even, no matter what, this is not going to end well. And even if David Neville plays, you know, we've seen when he tries to play hurt, it's not good. And so no matter what, they're probably going to have to rely on one of those next options, um, regardless if he suits up or not. Yeah, I don't even think Neville should be considered an option at this point in time, because we saw that play out last year. I think it was last year, was it, where he tried to come back time after time after having these little injuries, and, and it just you know just did not work out, and it, it even probably set him back even further. So, um, you know, I, I kind of tend to lean more towards them trotting out Christian Gaylord first and, and giving him a go uh, to try and see if he can kind of hold off, um, you know, them needing to pull Brendan Hymas's redshirt. I think that's how things will play out. But, uh, you know, but at the same time, obviously, I think Hymas is definitely on the table. They love his ability. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's not your typical true freshman offensive tackle uh, because he has come from a great program in Texas. He has played in big-time high school football games against Division One talent before. Uh, he's a guy that, that came in and picked things up very well. But at the same time, like Robin said, you're putting him against the strength of a Big Ten opponent's defense. Um, that's typically not the way you'd like to start a kid's career. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Watch at Nate Klaus as we discuss offense of storylines as we get you geared up for Saturday's 2.30 Big Ten Network opener against Rutgers for the Huskers as Nebraska 1-2, one of their worst starts to non-conference in the modern-day era of Husker football. And the running game, too, guys, is going to be such a big part of things on Saturday for the Huskers. Um, You you look at things right now, uh, Trey Bryant still limping heavily right now. does not look good for his return um, so that means more Mikael Wilbon and maybe Memorial Stadium's favorite son, Divino <laughs> Zigbo, will get um, a couple token touches um, just so the run the ball guy can get up and give his cynical cheer like we saw last night. That was great, by the way. Uh, but it will be interesting to see because a lot of it's the protection. I mean, Mikael Wilbon was met at con- with contact in or at the line of a scrimmage or in the backfield. I think 16 of his 24 carries or something of that number, 18 to 24 is what I believe Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal Star charted that. 
Um, so it doesn't matter, um, you know, who the back is if, if the protection and the, the run blocking is not there. Yeah, I thought Mikhail Wilbon actually played really well. Um, and that stat says it all right there. I mean, Mike Riley even mentioned on Monday that a lot of times Mikhail was his own blocker uh, because essentially if he was to gain any yardage, he had to break one or two tackles before he even got past the line of scrimmage. And um, that, again, goes back to the offensive line. And that was against the Northern Illinois defense, which, you know, is good. Uh, but, you know, we're looking ahead to this week, Rutgers, as we talked about, their defensive line is their strength. In fact, they, um, Washington ran for 84 yards on three and a half yards per carry. So um, clearly this is a stout group. And if Nebraska thinks that all of a sudden they're going to flip a switch with a banged up offensive line and their backup running back and start running the ball, um, it's probably a little easier said than done. But, you know, it's crucial for Nebraska to be able to run the ball. We've talked about how Tanner Lee needs that running game to offset defenses uh, and take some of that pressure off of him to where he's making better decisions. And that starts up front. If those five guys can't set the tone at the line of scrimmage, uh, Nebraska's going to be in for another long day offensively. Yeah, I was actually pretty impressed with how Mikel Wilbon ran the football. You know, I think he showed us some things that we hadn't seen out of him in his career yet as far as his physicality. Because um, and, and, we all know how, how dynamic he is out in the open field, but I think we all questioned exactly how hard of a runner he is, how physical he is, especially, um, you know, can he break tackles? Can he run people over? And he definitely proved that he can. And I don't know what the answer is. Nebraska is definitely going to have to run the football. I don't know if you – if you this week they they kind of pare things down and say okay these are the plays that we feel confident in and these are the plays that we blocked well you know we're going to stick to these and kind of uh you know use these plays to get after ruckers in the run game or or what but uh uh there's no doubt that this line is is going to be tasked with with getting after it in the run game and helping to keep that offense two dimensional you're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with seven locations in Omaha and Lincoln. It is your place to be after high school football on Friday night uh, for games on Saturday, for NFL football on Sunday. Visit any one of our two locations in Lincoln, our five in Omaha. Uh, that's Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. And and briefly, we don't have a lot of time here, Robin, but tight end play, too, has kind of fallen off. That The blocking uh, the consistency of those guys catching the football, uh, that has been another flaw that, you know, I think they overhyped these guys a little bit, that it was going to be a productive group, and, and that production has really disappeared. I would say they hyped them up more than just a little bit. They said <laughs> Tyler Hoppus was the greatest receiving tight end in Mike Riley's tenure, but clearly production isn't there, and that pass protection goes back to those other guys, the tight ends and running backs not be able to chip and provide help. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the discussion over to the defensive side of the football. This group has only given up seven points in their last six quarters, under 400 yards. They've seen their total defensive uh, ranks go from 122 to 92 uh, over the course of one week. Can Bob Diaco's group put together another solid game this week? We'll discuss that and more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's zero on zero. You know, it's Big Ten. Uh, we play familiar teams. All of our goals is still there, you know. Uh, and in that, you know, we, we should be happy and, uh, you know, just really ready to, um, for Rutgers, the next team, ready to go 1-0 and uh, ready to, for new hope, new, you know, new opportunities. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was outside linebacker Mohamed Berry discussing kind of where this defense, where this team is at as they get ready for Saturday's game with Rutgers. This segment here on the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's 
Sports Bar and Grill with seven locations in Omaha and Lincoln. It's your place to go after high school football on Friday nights. Um, come on in uh, before, after, during the Husker game here on Saturday, and obviously um, NFL football on Sunday and Monday. So Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, two locations in Lincoln, five in Omaha. But guys, uh, defensively for Nebraska, this has been an improving unit. You look at what they've done. Um, you know, I, I still think there's some skepticism out there because of the nature of how some of these games have been. Uh, the, the, the glass half empty guy is going to say, well, Oregon went into a shell. They weren't trying to really expose Nebraska's defense in the second half. And even Northern Illinois up 14 nothing, almost played conservative at times uh, with their offense in Santa Canarina um, being their backup quarterback to not really let him you know, make those key mistakes. And Nebraska feasted on, um, you know, Northern Illinois for a lot of that game. They gave up the 146-yard play that mattered um, after they took the lead. Uh, but still, I, I believe this defense is rallying around the ball. They're playing hard. Um, and, and you've seen them get better over the last couple games. Well, I think that steady improvement is a result of more comfort, not only with the players within the scheme, but the coaching staff has a lot better idea of their personnel and how to use them. Um, you know, after on Tuesday's practice, Bob Diaco even said that. You know, when especially he was asked about uh, the pressures and the blitzes they've been called up, and how there was a few more, um, you know, just blitz looks that we saw against Northern Illinois. And he said part of that is you know they, they know what guys are capable of and what their strengths are as pass rushers, and so they're able to call. Um, pressure plays that uh, suit those strengths. So, you know, I think that that's something that is going to continue to evolve, um, and it has to. I mean, they cannot play this, you know, shell defense where um, just keep everything in front of you and hope hope it's going to work out because clearly it hasn't. And so they need to be more aggressive. Um, they need to take more chances, create some turnovers. You know, when was the last time Nebraska had a game-changing, um, you know, turnover when it mattered? Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's something that needs to continue. They need to apply more pressure on opposing quarterbacks and not just make it this deal where uh, teams are able to sit back in the pocket and pick you apart in the passing game. Yeah, I don't think there's any any doubt that there's been a lot of growth in this unit. Um, and regardless of what type of offense they've faced or whatever type of situation it's been, I mean, they've defended those situations about as well as you could. And outside of that one play, you know, as soon as Nebraska got up and got the lead against Northern Illinois, they kind of went back into that shell defense and then they got burnt, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, down the sideline, um, you know, with a deep pass. So I, I think if, if as long as they kind of keep things, um, keep mixing things up and, and have a little bit more of an aggressive nature to to the unit. Uh, I, I think that this is going to be a defense that, that could give more opportunity to that struggling offense. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus as we discuss defensive storylines. And, you know, it'll be interesting. Jerry Kill coming back into Lincoln this week uh, now as the Rutgers offensive coordinator. Uh, he was out of the game with Minnesota after uh, the medical issues. He was uh, basically um, an associate athletic director at Kansas State. Um, was brought down there to almost find Bill Snyder's replacement. Well, that obviously we learned Bill Snyder is going to keep coaching forever. Um, and Jerry Kill got back into coaching as a coordinator at Rutgers. And um, his work and his track record speaks for itself. He wants to run physical offenses. I think this will be one of the tougher run tests Nebraska has seen. Obviously, Oregon and Royce Freeman was up there. But um, they will physically test the teeth of this defense, I think, differently than what some other teams have done this year, Robin. And I think that's a good news for Nebraska. Uh, I think the strength of this defense is their run defense. And 
Uh, we've seen it, like you said, when teams start to get maybe a little conservative and try to establish the run, they can't do it because uh, I think Nebraska is stout up the middle, um, especially with that um, you know defensive line, you know, and those inside linebackers. You know, I, I think that that's going to be playing into Nebraska's favor. And here's another thing to keep in mind: you know, Rutgers right now ranks 42nd nationally, but that's after they racked up 326 yards rushing against Morgan State, who might be one of the worst football teams in all of America. So you throw that out, uh, they're 93rd in total yards and 108th in passing. So I mean, this isn't some sort of high octane offense that's going to test Nebraska really in any stretch. Um, this is this is one of those games where I think Nebraska finally has a favorable matchup defensively where, you know, we talked about needing to be more aggressive. This is your opportunity. Uh, they're going to keep things simple. Um, you know, they're not going to spread you out through the width of the field like the first three offenses they faced did. Uh, and I think that this is going to tee up um, for a much different and more favorable test than what Nebraska's seen all year. Yeah, we're not going to hear all the RPO talk this week and, and um, you know, and have that kind of freeze some guys, whether it's a run or a pass. I, I think this does play into Nebraska's strength. And uh, and that passing game is kind of a mess for, for Rutgers. Uh, they've got one guy, though, Janarian Grant, is, is somebody that they're really going to have to to keep tabs on because he is a game changer there as a wide receiver and as a return guy. But uh, but for the most part, I, I think this is an offense that, that could be just what the, the, the defense and what this Nebraska team needs to face. Nate, I also wanted to ask you this. Bill Bush, a guy that you know very well, came back for your wedding, uh, former Nebraska Bill Callahan assistant on this Rutgers staff as well uh, defensively. Uh, I know we caught up with Coach Bush um, when we were out at the satellite camps all on the road this summer, but um, I, and I, I know you, you guys still keep up. I mean, what what has he brought to Rutgers, and, and kind of what's his thoughts on taking that job out there? Well, I mean, he's just uh, he likes the opportunity out there. He's a huge uh, fan of of Ash, Coach Ash, um, and and I think that. Uh, th- there's a lot of confidence that, that he's the right guy. Obviously, they've struggled quite a bit uh, since he's taken over that program. But um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of a lot of optimism surrounding that program. And and uh, you know, I, I think more than anything, he's just kind of happy to be back in the Big Ten and, and coaching because that was kind of a, a strange situation when he was at Wisconsin and Gary Anderson just kind of ups and leaves for Oregon State, and he did not want to go to Oregon State. Uh, when you're when you're at Wisconsin and and I think they're um, you know he th- felt like there was a good chance that Paul Chris was going to keep him on that staff and that didn't happen and then he was uh, you know he went over as kind of a, an analyst role for Urban Meyer at Ohio State before taking this full time job with Rutgers but I can tell you that he's very happy to to get back to Nebraska and to play in Memorial Stadium and um, you know and I think they've they're like I said earlier they're coming in with some confidence now they got that monkey off their back. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, A. Klaus. Robin, I want to hit on the linebackers, too, this week. Outside linebacker with the injuries to Tyron Ferguson in his foot and obviously Marcus Newby for sure out with a hamstring. It's kind of put a bind on that position going into this week. Uh, we know Lou Gifford's going to be out there. I feel like Alex Davis, this could be a week where you see him more, but you know they've been very reluctant to put him out there in space because he would just be picked on like crazy if he was out there in space. And um, they still haven't really given us an idea of what they're going to do at that OLB spot this week. Yeah, I do think that that's going to be a big part of the solution is, you know, with this more traditional power offense, um, that cat linebacker, 
or dog linebacker. I can't remember what they are, but Alex Davis aside, is going the to, cat. Yes, this is a cat. He's going to see the field a whole lot more. Um, you know, I think that again, this is going to play into what this defense is actually built like, as opposed to having you know two of your dogs out there. Um, you know, they, they they actually are going to be able to play their base three four, and so that's going to help uh, with some depth. But I do think there's going to be guys like Muhammad Barry. Um, you know, the, maybe some freshmen that's maybe see the field a little bit more than they have, um, just because their their numbers are limited right now. And you know, if we go across the board with injuries, uh, linebacker is the new one that is a big concern right now. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over and take your questions in the mailbag. Obviously, lots of questions this week. Matt Reynoldson will join us as we'll take those questions next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I don't think there's words for it. I mean, they're they're focused. They're they're tired of it. You know, they're they're ready to win, just like the entire team is. And uh, you know, it's good to see. You know, it fires everybody up. You know, I think the team as a whole is just we're ready for Saturday. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and. We bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson as lots of questions this week in the mailbag. We will not waste any time, as you just heard from quarterback Tanner Lee talking about the hunger of the team this week. What do you got for us this week to lead off the mailbag, Matt? Well, the scrolls has kind of gone scorched earth this week after the loss to Northern Illinois. So starting out with a pretty heavy big picture question, if this season goes completely off the rails and Nebraska doesn't make a bowl game, what realistically are the odds that both Eichhorst and Riley are gone? I just think there's so much in there we don't know yet like how what injuries happen what how bad are the losses how competitive is nebraska have the players quit um are they still playing hard um i i think there's so many of those things that we don't know the answer to i mean this is a team that will only start two seniors on saturday tyler hoppus and um the other one being uh now i'm drawing demorne pearsonell on their 22 um, so it's a it's a very young ball club in, in a lot of respects. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's so hard right now in late September to even make that kind of statement at this point. I will say they come out and lose on Saturday uh, and start one and three for the first time since 1957 or whatever it is. And um, you're talking about Mike Riley posting two of the top three or two of the worst records in Nebraska football history, at least recent memory since Nebraska became Nebraska. And so, I mean, things need to change and they need to change in a hurry. So if, if the trend of what we've seen through the first three weeks continues, um, they're going to have a very strong case to potentially make a change. And, um, you know, obviously there would be uh, a very quick turnaround um, from the last coaching change, but at the same time, at some point, you need results. And when things are, you're talking about maybe two out of three sub 500 seasons, that's just not good enough. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many variables that are in play here. It's hard to completely speculate about what exactly is going to happen. But yeah, if if they do lose against Rutgers, I, I think that uh, some somebody's head is is going to going to roll for that. And and I personally think that it'll probably start up top and then work its way down to the coaching staff. Uh, so. Uh, that, I mean, that's that'd be my predict, per, prediction, I guess. Well, the other thing is, uh, Hank Bounds is a football guy. He's the president of all the universities, not just Nebraska, Kearney, and the Med Center, and UNO, etc. He coached football at Southern Miss. He's got a background with Mississippi State's football program. He understands the inner workings of a college football program. I almost feel he will have as much say in these decisions down the road as as Chancellor Ronnie Green. Moving on with the mailbag, keeping with the coach's theme. I know this is a question we get every week, it seems like, but 
in light of the NIU game, has your stance on Cavs position with this staff and uh, Cavs needing to coach for his job this year, has that changed at all? Well, there's no question um, he's under the gun. I mean, I think his first year at Nebraska was his best line he had, and that was with Zach Sturrup, Alex Lewis, and then, you know, Ryan Reeves was the center, and then Nick Gates was a young, promising redshirt freshman. And you can argue that was the best line that he's coached in three years at Nebraska. And and what's dis- disappointing is this group has not developed or gotten better. I mean, I feel like Nick Gates was better as a freshman than he is now as a junior. Why is that? Why are some of these guys not developing down the road? I think that's what you have to look at, and and uh, that's what I would be most concerned about. And you know, I think the stubbornness sometimes of Cav gets under the, the fan base's skin. Um, people want to see some different things and rotations or guys and this and that. And uh, the fact that he is so reluctant, it, it almost works against him, especially when the times are hot. Well, Nate, you can probably speak a little bit more to this, but the the fact that they're recruiting at a seemingly high level on the offensive line, just in terms of star rankings and um, the the level of prospects they're bringing in, and the fact that Sean alluded to, they're not getting better. Uh, you know, they're almost regressing in a lot of ways. I mean, that in itself is coaching. I mean, there's no other way to paint it, and so who's to blame? I mean, the first guy on the on the chopping block there is Mike Cavanaugh. So that's that's probably as big of an issue as anything. I mean, yes, they're bringing in um, high level talent, uh, but they're not doing anything with it, and that in itself goes right back to your position coach. Yeah, I've I've kind of been you know one of the people that have kind of downplayed the whole Cav is on the hot seat talk. Um, but I think now it's it's a little bit more relevant, especially after what we saw last week. Um, you know, the one thing that's interesting is that a lot of his recruits, a lot of the big time recruits that he has brought in, um, you know, haven't cracked that that top five yet. You you, you did see Matt Farniak, um, you know, get a start against Oregon, uh, but now he's out with a, with a broken wrist. Um, you know, Bo Wilson and John Raritan are still in backup roles. So, um, you know, some of the the four star type of players that he has recruited. Uh, are not not starting yet, and and I don't know if you can put say that that's purely developmental uh, or or what, but I think the bottom line is that um, you know he needs to get some sort of results out of the, out of this group and try to try to mix mash it together and, and make it work. Otherwise, uh, that that talk about him being on the hot seat is not going to go any away anytime soon. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. We're taking your questions in the mailbag. Sticking with the offensive line theme, this question from May. In Lincoln, how good is Rutgers' D line compared to those Nebraska's played, and how do you see Nebraska's offensive line doing this weekend against that group? I, mean, I think it's going to be right up there with with what they've seen. Um, I don't think Oregon had a very you know stout front; they had a very good coordinator. Uh, but I mean, you saw how Nebraska pass protected against Oregon compared to how they did against Northern Illinois. So um, that should tell you Northern Illinois might have been maybe the best front Nebraska's seen through the first three games. Well, the difference is the first three defensive lines they faced all had speed, especially edge rushing speed. Uh, Rutgers is a little bit more of a Big Ten stout, uh, defensive line, which is why they've been so good against the run. And so it's going to be a different challenge, but um, in a lot of ways, maybe the most difficult Nebraska's face just because they're not going to be bigger and stronger than this group. Uh, and they're going to have to go kind of blow for blow with these guys and not just have to worry about, um, you know, knocking down smaller, faster speed rushers. Yeah. Nebraska's had a decisive size advantage in, in every game they've played so far, but that's not going to be the case this weekend. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that is almost uh, an advantage because obviously, Obviously, we've seen that Nebraska's offensive line isn't 
hasn't been quite as athletic as the defensive lines that they've faced so far. So, so maybe you know facing a couple you know three hundred plus pound uh, defensive linemen, maybe that does this O line some good. I, I don't know, but this is definitely you know going to be a, a tall task for this offensive line. It's going to be one of the better defensive fronts they've faced. All right, we got time for one more, and we'll have some time to discuss this one. What do you have? Yeah, pretty abstract one, pretty good one to discuss. If you're Mike Riley, what two changes do you make for this week's game? Whoo, um, gosh, you know, there's a lot of things he could do this week. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm stumped on this one. Uh, what exact changes you would do. I, I think you commit more to the run game. Um, and, and even when it's second and eight or whatever, you have to run in some of those situations more and, and try to establish that. Cause I feel like that is the strength of this offensive line and they want to run downhill. They don't want to sit in pass protection. And you've got to find ways to get the mojo back with Tanner Lee. And putting him back there 40 times as a sitting duck is not going to do it. I've got a good one. Uh, we've spent this whole show talking about how Mike Riley's getting to the position where he's coaching for his job. Why not put uh, yourself in control of your own destiny? Take over the play-calling duties from Danny Langsdorf. You go back to Oregon State. He did so uh, in the mid-2000s, and then they ended up going to a bowl game five out of the next six years. Uh, when he returned after that stint with the Char- uh, Chargers, he was in 2000, or yeah, 2013, 12 and 13, um, he did so again. And all of a sudden, Sean Mannion becomes the Pac-12's all-time passing leader. So Mike Riley is a legit play caller. And I think that with the situation being what it is, with the offense's struggles, he needs to take things into his own hands and start dialing up some plays. Bringing it hot. Woo. Yeah, I'm not going to go quite quite that hot take, but uh, you know, I'm I'm really examining and, and really putting this on the assistant coaches to say, okay, what are your guys confident in? What do they do well? And, and coming together and piecing, you know, gathering that information and then saying, okay, this is what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on what this team is confident at, what they do well. Um, it may be limited. Uh, we may be, you know, pretty have a pretty thin game plan, but we're going to hang our hat on what we feel good doing. All right, what do you have, Matt? One quick thing here? One more quick thing. I want a prediction from you guys or a hypothetical prediction. Uh, Rutgers just beat Mor- beat the tar on Morgan State. How much would IMG beat Morgan State by? <laughs> <laughs> Nate would know better, but I would say IMG would probably win that game pretty handily. I, I'm not going to make, like – some crazy outlandish, <laughs> you know, I mean, the hyperbole here is, is pretty high, but uh, I, it would be a competitive game. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. It would definitely be a competitive game. All right. When we come back, uh, we are going to shift over to recruiting. And speaking of IMG Academy, we're going to hear from Buki Radley-Hiles. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You, you know fans. Fans are a nervous lot in general. So they, they see yeah. you taking visits. You know this because you see it on social media, I'm sure, all the time. They see you taking visits and they start wondering, is he going to show up at Nebraska? Do they have anything to worry about with you? Uh, not at all. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a young kid. You know, I just want to, you know, enjoy my, my experience. You know, and have a have a process. At least, you know, I don't get to do this one. I only get to do this one time. When you look at the start of the season to Nebraska, just what are your thoughts as to the Huskers' struggles early? I mean, it happens. It's football. It's life. You know, I don't I don't see it as you know really losses. I see it as a uh, uh, wins and lessons. 
And welcome back here to the final segment of the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska's prize recruit, Buki Radley Hiles. He was a guest with me and Kevin Kugler on Big Red Wrap Up on Tuesday night. That was Buki Radley Hiles kind of setting the record straight where things stand. I know, Nate, um, if I had a nickel for every time you've been asked that question over the last month, um, you could probably quit Husker Online and, and move off to Hawaii or something. But uh, you heard it there on a public forum interview. Any surprises or thoughts from Buki's comments there? Uh, not really. And you're right. I'd be sipping drinks uh, on the on the beaches of, of Maui or something. But uh, uh, not a whole lot of surprises there. I mean, this is I mean, pretty much what we've been talking about dating back to – to July, you know, he's going to be taking his visits, but there's, I don't believe there's anything to worry about. Obviously it's a less than ideal situation. Anytime you have a commitment that is taking visits, uh, because it does mean that the door is not completely closed, but at the same time, uh, there are just so many connections to Nebraska uh, between, um, you know, Buki's relationship with Mike Riley, his relationship with Dante Williams, uh, Tyjon, with Keith Williams, with Tyjon Lindsay being his cousin, with Tristan Jebbia being one of his best friends, uh, so on and so forth. I mean, the the list is is long, and it is unique to Nebraska. I mean, there are no other connections with any other schools. That, that are quite like the ones that he has with Nebraska. Um, you know, obviously, if those connections are no longer at Nebraska, then yeah, you, you, you've, uh, you've reached the point to kind of uh, panic. But at this point in time, I'm, I'm still not concerned. He's going to do his thing. He's going to enjoy the recruiting process. He's going to take some trips. His mother's going to take trips with him. Um, and it's just going to be something that Nebraska fans kind of have to accept. Uh, but I'm, I'm not panicked whatsoever. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk Husker recruiting. Uh, now, Nate, Nebraska did host um, three official visitors last week, correct? Yep. And, you know, obviously uh, not exactly an ideal uh, Chamber of Commerce weekend to have, to have visitors in Lincoln. Uh, but, you know, you've been around the block. You've seen this. You understand. I mean, we I, go, I can go back. Martin Lucky committed during a loss to Nebraska, mm-hmm. a five-star guy. Zach Bowman committed following a loss. After the Southern Miss game. So people – I mean, those are two five-star guys. So people – I think there's this hot take fan reaction that – a loss automatically means, oh, my God, he's not coming here. But that, that that wasn't the case this past weekend. No, and that's the question I always get whenever there is a loss and there are kids on campus visiting – um, you know, it's, it's, oh boy, Nebraska, there's no way they're getting these kids now. And that's not the case. And I think a lot of times these kids have a better perspective on the game of football and the outcome of the game than, than f- the fans do. Uh, I mean, you heard Buki there say, I don't look at it as wins and losses, it's wins and lessons. Um, that's know, a pretty it, deep quote, right? Yeah, there. it really is. Um, and, and these guys, you know, they're, they're competitors. They play the game. They've, they've been in situations where they've played an inferior opponent, uh, but they haven't executed or played to their potential and let those, let the inferior opponent, you know, stay in the game or even have lost to, uh, a, you know, a team like that. Uh, they've been in these situations before. And, and I think, um, not only that, but a lot of times when you do lose a game and you have some highly recruited recruited guys, highly touted players on campus, like a Brian Addison, who's the top 100 recruit overall, who is uh, being recruited to play safety and wide receiver at Nebraska. Um, you know, when he was watching the game on Saturday, he told me, he said, you know what, it doesn't impact how I feel about Nebraska. And as a matter of fact, 
it makes me – it basically showed me that there is an opportunity for me to come in and be the type of game changer that Nebraska needs. They need somebody who can make plays on defense, make plays on offense, and I'm that guy. I want to play as a true freshman. That's my ultimate goal, and I know I can do that at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska is currently in the lead for him. He's going to be taking trips to Arizona State and to Michigan for sure. Uh, and he said that he'd like to get the, the decision over with sooner than later. So, um, you know, right now they're sitting in a great spot with him, even though they lost to Northern Illinois in front of his own eyes. And you had fans in Memorial Stadium, you know, letting the team hear how disappointed they were in them. So uh, same with, with Kobe Smith, the wide receiver, who's who's teammates with Brian Addison. You know, he told me that uh, that the, the loss does not impact how he feels about Nebraska and and that, if anything, it, it showed him that they have a need for, for a guy like him on offense. So, um, you know, that's the way it plays out nine times out of ten. Nate, I want to ask you about another guy, David Alston, defensive end. Uh, first of all, 6'5", 210, number one player in Minnesota. Is he a D-end or outside linebacker in a 3-4? And secondly, why has Minnesota, I look at his rival's profile, he does not have a Minnesota offer. Is there some backstory there with him and the Gophers and why they haven't offered the number one player in their own state? Yeah, that's, that is the, the million-dollar question if, if you're covering you know, Minnesota prep football uh, recruiting is, is why hasn't David Alston been offered by the Gophers? They, they've offered probably – eight to 10 other in-state kids, um, you know, maybe not quite that many, but at least approaching eight to 10 in-state guys, but not the number one overall player. I, I think that uh, for Nebraska, even though he plays defensive end in in high school, he is definitely the cat linebacker. He's that outside linebacker that can come and rush the passer, but also is athletic enough to cover in space. Um, you know, I think that fits his skill set uh, tremendously well. Um, and, and Nebraska's not the only 314 that sees it that way. Wisconsin is another 314 that have, that has offered him. Um, so, and I don't know if, if Minnesota hasn't pulled the trigger because they don't necessarily think that he fits their scheme very well. Um, it's not because grades are an issue. This is basically a 4.0 student. He's got offers from all the Ivy Leagues. I know that, that he was hoping to land an offer from Stanford over the summer. There's still a chance that that might come. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a head scratcher. Why oh row the boat? PJ Fleck hasn't hasn't pulled the. I mean, he's offered everybody in the world. Yeah, I mean, he's offered kids in different countries probably, and, and the number one guy according to everyone in their state, he has not offered. It just doesn't add up to me. Yeah, it is a curious situation, and I'll tell you this. Um, and David Alston would never say this publicly, but I, I know that there's. That they aren't happy about it. Uh, that that there's kind of some bad blood there. It's kind of a Bryson Williams type deal for them in that state. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you you could draw the some sort of parallel there for sure. Uh, but it could be to Nebraska's benefit though, uh, because like I said, this is a kid that has a skill set that fits a, a specific need that Nebraska has on this team. Um, and went with uh, a couple guys like Elijah Blades and Deontay Watts not making it, that gives Nebraska you know the opportunity to maybe take more than one cat linebacker in this class so if you could get a David Alston and you could get lucky enough to get a Micah Parsons I think that would do uh, a whole heck of a lot to bolster that position going forward all right now we're running out of time here but briefly uh, give us an idea who will be in this weekend for the 230 game well right now just one official visitor that's four-star cornerback Christian Tut out of Thompson Georgia uh, was here for Friday Night Lights and there was a lot of rumors that he was getting close to pulling the trigger uh, following that visit uh, he was supposed to 
to make a return trip in, in late July. That, that trip never happened, uh, but he and his family will be here this weekend. Uh, he's coming off an official visit to Ohio State for that Oklahoma game, and, and he's got one more possibly uh, to Alabama before making a decision. But I really like Nebraska's chances here. I know he and Dante Williams are extremely tight, and this is a kid who could, could play corner, nickel, or safety potentially, so one to keep an eye on. All right, it's going to be a busy weekend in Lincoln, obviously with the game and the temperature turned up hot as Nebraska opens up Big Ten play Saturday with Rutgers. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 